Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening to those that are listening to this podcast. And we have a very exciting guest with us today, Andrew Funk from Barcelona, formerly from the United States. And he's going to tell us his story, and he's going to tell us what he's been up to recently. So, Andrew, please uh, let us know your background and what you're up to. Okay, first of all, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to participate in your podcast. And um, most importantly, because it helps the people in our program from Homeless Entrepreneur have opportunities to work and be active citizens. Um, To put a little bit of context, I'm from the United States. I was... Uh, born in Minnesota, which is quite close to Canada. And um, and then I've moved around the States, uh, depending on where my father was. He was working in the, the natural gas, electricity, oil business. Went to Texas and then ended up in Arizona, where I went to high school and university. And then I've been out in Spain uh, for the most part since I was 21. Um, to put everything in context, I studied literature and economics, and I had the desire to make some kind of change in the world. I, I wasn't sure what it would be. I'm still trying to refine it, so it's more more clear for everyone. Uh, but I remember when a friend of mine bought a paperweight, which said, be the change you wish to see in the world, right? From Gandhi, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, and I've been trying to find my path since. And uh, that has led me to where I'm at right now, speed forward to where we're at now, which with an organization called Homeless Entrepreneur, which gives uh, people that are currently homeless the opportunity to be active working citizens. So that's probably the briefest explanation I've ever given on my life, but it should give some context to who I am and what I'm doing. So, Andrew, uh, how did you end up going to Spain from the United States? Well, I had my first serious relationship was with a Mexican girl. And um, so I couldn't speak or communicate with her parents. And that was an issue. And I wanted to overcome that. And, and I guess that was in the bottom of many things. So I wanted to learn Spanish and get to know the world. And for an American in the South, uh, Spain tends to be a more attractive place to go to to learn Spanish. Uh, than other places in the world. So I graduated a year early from Arizona State, and then I flew out to Spain, and um, and then I started learning Spanish and, and getting to know Europe a little bit more in the world. But uh, that's, that's pretty much why I ended up in Spain. I wanted to see the world, and then I realized that you can't travel around every two years unless you're independently wealthy. So I had to build my base in Barcelona, and, and uh, yeah, that's, that's how I ended up in Spain. Well, that's great. And then uh, the Homeless Entrepreneur program that you started, how did that come about? Basically, I think people become really focused when they need to solve a problem for personal reasons. Uh, I, I found myself in a homeless situation, um, and it was we raised 300,000 euros for a company. Uh, that did not work properly um and i had issues with that and then i had issues uh because my first son was born so it was uh, economic problems problems at home and the worst moment had to be solved so 
I came up with Homeless Entrepreneur to turn the worst moment into the best moment and to turn my life around. So I solved my problem and then I wanted to help other people. So Homeless Entrepreneur basically was born the same time my, my child was. And, um, and since then, uh, I've dedicated my entire life to, to helping homeless people. And you're in four communities, is that right? Yeah, I mean, we, we really, it, it's hard to say exactly where we're at because we have local impact, but also international impact. We receive emails from people from all over the world, anywhere from the States, Canada, Australia, um, South Africa, people that are trying to get advice on how to become active working citizens again. So our, our main impact is in Barcelona and in Spain, but we do have impact uh, uh, on different levels outside. Um, and that's basically because the model that we're consolidating right now is in Barcelona. We're currently raising 250000 to help 100 people uh, in 2020. And the other is the hat, if you will, of uh, the, the monthly sleep outs we've been doing for the last 38 months. Uh, the next one will be in Finland. Uh, we have a smart city uh, keynote speech there. And the other one is the speaking club that we have, which gives homeless people an, a voice in press and in companies and the public world as well. Uh, so that way they can participate. So uh, as a result of using social media, we have the amazing opportunity to meet people like yourself and to exchange ideas and see what we can do to improve and add value around the world. So we do have a very concrete uh, impact in local places, but we do have a global impact as well. So you're not just a do-gooder. You understand the business element of running an organization. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, the, the most important thing is turning donations into deposits, right? Creating sustainability uh, for and with the people you're working with. That could be the organization. It has to be the organization and the people you're working with. So um, it's not just about doing good. It's about doing good that makes sense and is sustainable. So you have to surround yourself by organizations and individuals that are focused on sustainable solutions. Otherwise, you end up creating very low ceilings uh, for the people you're trying to help, and you end up creating stability for the suppliers, not so much for the people that are receiving the service or product. Do you deal with the uh, families of the homeless at all or try to connect with the well, families? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of what we do. Um, keep in mind that we have a holistic approach, so we focus on professional development, health, education, training for uh, uh, financial issues, legal issues, communication, sales, mentorship, all these different areas, including housing. And obviously, the relationship you have with your family um, has a very strong relationship with your health and, and the communication you have with those that are supposed to be your closest network. So many times people end up having better relationships with their family uh, because of the support we provide them. Um, but that's a very delicate issue because normally homeless people have family. And the relationship they have is either good or bad, and depending on how bad it's gotten, uh, it takes time to heal. And we just try to give people the opportunity to, to give their families a second chance and also their families to give the people in the program a second chance. But it's, 
it's a it's a long term uh, issue we have to deal with. You can't just walk in someone's life and say, "Why don't you start speaking with your parents again, or your siblings, or your cousins?" It's it's a process that also invites them to participate, which is which is beautiful because when one issue is Luis, his brother actually uh, contacted him because he heard about what we were doing on the radio. And he said, you should speak with this organization. And he didn't really pay too much mind to his brother, but then he said, why not? He contacted us. And now he's no longer homeless, and he's making about 50,000 euros a year um, working uh, for a hotel company as a, I'm not sure in English what it's, he works with architects. And in Spanish, it's called prescriber. I don't know the exact term in English, but um, he's, He's making money. He's hitting his targets, getting bonuses, and he's he's much much happier. And the relationship with his brother has improved as well. So um, let's just say when people start focusing on improving their lives, many times but not all, the relationship with they with their family improves as well. Andrew, how do you uh, reach out to homeless people and convince them this is a program that would help them? Uh, with actions more than words, um, we show the people that are succeeding and improving their life in our program. Uh, we have more than 1 million views each month on social media and more than 100,000 people on our network. We're actively involved in the community. We travel around. Um, we try to show them the opportunities and the results with the people that we help. And then as a result, we inspire them and motivate them to participate. So they have to be attracted. We don't go looking for them in that sense. We do um, look for opportunities. But at the end of the day, uh, the people that are willing and able to work uh, contact us. And those that are just looking for a social housing and that's it aren't interested and they don't contact us. So it's, it, I think it's our day-to-day -day interaction and work that proves that we can help them with specific things they're looking for, like work and, uh, and housing as a result. But you don't accept all homeless into your program. You have no, to uh, narrow uh, that down. Can you talk about that a little bit? Of course. Um, the success is directly related to the selection process and how you filter the people in the program. Um, we're able to help approximately 20% of the homeless community um, people that do not have serious drug issues or serious mental health issues and those that want to actively participate. So we aren't able to help everyone, um, and we do recommend that those people that have those kind of issues uh, contact other organizations. But if someone has severe mental health issues and or drug problems, um, they need support from other organizations that are experts on that first before we can help them. So we do filter and we make sure that the people that enter the program are prepared to make that next step of entering the professional world. And it's the target that we have. It's what we do well. And we've obviously learned that if you try to help everyone, you help no one. And if you focus on those that you can really reach and do well, then then the, the outcome is quite amazing. And... Can you talk about how important mentors and counselors and the community are to your program? The, the network is everything because the network gives you the, new, the tools, knowledge, and resources, and love that really 
bring people to life. Um, if you don't have a healthy environment, it's difficult to be healthy. So I would say the, the consultants, the coaches, the mentors, the general community support that's provided is really the make or break of the program. Um, if you're not a smoker and you're sitting in a room that's closed with a bunch of other smokers, um, you might as well be smoking. So, but if you're in a healthy environment and those people are guiding you in the right direction and you're participating in learning and, and valuing that process, then you're not being forced to, to be a quote unquote user. Um, people are promoting active citizenship. So I would say that those those players are extremely important when it comes to changing the routine and mentality. Otherwise, it's trying to push something in place that's not going to fit. Okay. The program itself, can you give us uh, a bit of an outline of yeah, it's the, a, it's the a content of the program? Yeah, it's a one-year program. We have a coordinator, and then we have managers that, that help with professional development, uh, training, health, housing, legal, uh, financial, uh, communication, sales, and mentorship. So there is a one-year program, and depending on the month and the stage, and they receive more or less support in each area. The objective is for them to be prepared for a job within the first three months and then keep that job for nine months and go through the program so that way they can reach the next stage. Uh, stage two is the second year in which these people – aren't just receiving, but they're adding values. So, uh, they recruit two new people that can enter the program, and they play the big brother role there, and they're giving back to the community and helping people go through what they went through. And then the third year, they just they basically become uh, like normal volunteers, if you will, in the community. But the first year really depends on where that person's at. We have a protocol we created. We also presented to an ethics committee with the university, which we passed, and we're just trying to figure out how we can reduce the friction between homeless people who want to work and the companies that can hire them. So we have to make sure we have the holistic support so that they're prepared to get that job and make sure that the job that they get is sustainable for the short, mid, at least short, short midterm. Maybe they'll get a different job or a better job in the mid term but that's the that's the main focus so Andrew a lot of the homeless people are transitional you know they'll be here today gone tomorrow yeah. do you get these folks to sign up like a contract that they'll stick their yeah, way there's, through there's the program there's a there's an agreement that, that they recognize the program that they're going to go through and their commitment it's basically a commitment agreement in which they're explaining that they're willing and able to participate. And that goes anywhere from when they receive smartphones. We just closed a technological partner that will be providing free laptops to everyone in the program and also free maintenance. So every time that we do, we make sure it's contractual. So people understand the responsibility and obligations to participate and the consequences if they don't do certain things and the opportunities if they continue. So uh, they have to sign an agreement at the beginning uh, after reading everything, explaining what the program is, what we do. So they accept the terms of agreement and we can work together. This has been the best way to actually work together. 
Can you talk about partnerships and the role they play in what you're doing? Partnerships help us leverage the interest of the community to improve what we're doing. Um, uh, the last partnership, like explained, is a technological company that provides maintenance for for hardware and software. Um, so they're providing free maintenance to any issues that the organization or the people in the program have regarding their smartphones, tablets, or computers, and also providing that uh, device for them as well. Samsung provided free smartphones. Um, that changes their mentality in two ways. It helps them work with better tools, but also when they realize that a large company that doesn't know they really exist is supporting them, it also helps them understand the, the reach that we have and, and that strangers care about them. Um, so I would say that there's a psychological aspect to that support, but also there's a very real value being provided and it's bi-directional. The, the organizations that sponsor products and services and as donors, um, we also create a plan about how we can add value to their organization, be it through uh, internal training or marketing and communication as well. So partners for us really help us speed up the process and scale what we're doing. Okay, you talked about getting some great support in terms of technology. If you give those to your homeless entrepreneurs, is there any concern that they might take that and try to sell it to buy that's something a, else? That's a question that gets asked a lot, and the answer is no, there's no concern at all because uh, we don't give them any technology or anything like that until they've been in the program for at least two months. So if they've shown commitment and they've worked hard, um, they also have something they can lose. So if they've invested their time, energy, and effort for two months to receive support in the program, um, is it really worth 100 euros or 200 euros or 50 or whatever to sell that because they can get kicked out of the program? So the value of what they're receiving goes beyond the potential value of what they could receive for selling uh, a smartphone or a laptop in that case. Something I want you to describe, you made a lot of presentations mm -hmm. over the last three years to various organizations. <clears throat> Have any of them come back to you and shown corporate social responsibility in terms of getting involved in what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, we if right now as we speak, we have people in a meeting with an organization called Factory F5 that helps people in social exclusion become coders and programmers with Apple. And so right now what they're doing is they have a meeting um, to determine how homeless entrepreneur Factory F5 and Apple can come up with a project for the volunteer program in Apple. So what we try to do is figure out the needs that their current uh, corporate social responsibility program has and then come up with a project together. And we found that that works quite well. Um, and we, we work with different organizations that have a real interest in using corporate social responsibility. But many organizations have a very young department, to be nice about it. And we've even been asked to help build their CSR department because they have nothing. 
So we're participating with that and helping them build a portfolio with the first um, case study for a homeless entrepreneur. So you have those that have a program and they're just interested in us fitting their program. You have those that are building their program and would like us to become part of it and those that don't have anything and would like to get started. So that, that's what we've come across for the most part in, in regard to that question. What would really be uh, helpful for our listeners is a couple of examples of uh, success stories. Uh, success is always defined step by step, right? But I'll give you a few examples. Um, one is Beto. He's a photographer, and he was selling Kleenex at a park in front of a huge palace. And um, he's now he was selling Kleenex to buy a camera because that's what he loves. And now he's taking pictures at press conferences for Football Club Barcelona. If you're not a big soccer or football fan, it means nothing, but it's one of the most important clubs in the world. And he's taking pictures of Messi and other football players um, while they work. So he's gone from selling Kleenex to buy a camera to getting paid to take pictures of people that he admires professionally. Another example is Guillaume. He's a telecom major. He was... Uh, he was homeless, and he'd actually had a company that was uh, invoicing millions. But with the crisis, he had issues with his company. He lost it, and, and he ended up in that situation. And, and now, because of a monthly sleep out that we did, and with a sign he held that said, I'm a homeless uh, telecom technician. Will you contract me? He's uh, working as an IT technician, and he's been in that job for the last year and a half. That's another example. Um, Luis, the architect. Um, another example is uh, Jose. Um, he's a doorman and also enjoys cleaning. Uh, he's working in a cleaning company um, right now. Uh, you have different examples, but you can see that the trend is to push people towards what they love and what they do well instead of trying to fit them in to a job that they're probably not going to adapt very well to. Um, and the last example I'll give is a woman named Mercedes because there are women too, not as many, but there are women. And we created a project that's collecting pork from restaurants in Barcelona. We have more than 250 that have signed up. And we just got the electric bike with a big hot air balloon basket behind it to collect cork. Um, she's getting paid for that, and she's no longer homeless because of that project. That's an entrepreneurial project. And then you have other people that go into their professional field and people like Beto who are freelancers. But those are some examples of success stories. And um, every person that's able to improve their life has one success story. The question is how to sustain it and make sure that uh, they don't go back into any kind of home situation. And I think uh, as we've talked previously, you have kind of a global perspective on where this could go. Can you talk about yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, the, the global perspective is we think that in the OECD, there's 20% of the population that's willing and able right now to work and be active citizens. So we're trying to understand um, from a policy level what governments are interested in, um, what large private companies are focused on, NGOs, and citizens, and we're trying to really understand how we can improve that. Uh, I had a conversation in Davos at the World Economic Forum with Lord Hastings, who's uh, the Global Director on Citizenship for KPMG, 
And his big question for what we were doing is how are we going to get large organizations to, to change the way they're investing in social issues? And I think that's where we're at. We're trying to learn from all these other organizations. I have a, f- a phone call after, after this podcast with uh, a guy in, in Berlin who has a company called Kangler that's dealing with Kangler that deals with um, AI. And they're part of the 1% Pledge Club. And they'd like to see if and how they can work with us. So uh, the question is, how can we learn how people are solving the problem of homelessness, how they define it, and how we can speed up the process on a local level and add value to others that are participating. So you can't just look at your own belly button. You can't look at your, just your own city. You have to see what's, what's happening outside and travel to those places, speak with those people, and really learn what's happening. Because if you just look at the newspaper, you're going to get maybe 5% of the reality. So we, we really believe in the importance of speaking with people around the world, getting different perspectives, and seeing what works here, and giving our feedback to others as well. Okay, one final question for the podcast, and then I want mm-hmm. to continue with you after. In terms of uh, a message to communities, there are homeless people, including squatters, and the yes. estimate I read in an article was over a billion squatters in the world. Uh, what would you say to communities to help make a difference in terms of reducing homelessness? Um, you have to ask, first of all, why is that person squatting? Are they squatting because, of, uh, because they're in need of squatting or because they want to? Okay? So in order to solve any problem, we have to understand what the issue is. Are they being forced into that situation, or have they decided that that's the best for them? So when you say you have one billion squatters, uh, you can be happy to a certain extent that they have some kind of roofing. Okay, Squatting is better than being in the street. Um, the question is, what is the housing like? If you squat in Barcelona, it's not the same as if you squat in a favela in uh, favela in uh, in Sao Paulo, in Brazil, right? So, um, the most important thing for me, sorry, um, the most important thing for me is understanding where that point is: squatting, um, homeless, certain types of homelessness, and how we as a society can improve that. So, if we understand the latter. More than being concerned and frustrated about where we're at, we need to understand what the next steps are so that way we can help people improve. So my suggestion would be clearly define where people are at that are squatting um, and then what steps should be taken to improve that situation, not solve it completely. And another thing to keep in mind when I was in the United Nations in Geneva I made a comment about that $1 billion, right? And I said, well, that's really amazing. You guys have all this data. You have $1 billion, but they don't have the data, right? There's, they don't have specific data on that. So in my opinion, it's more of a marketing tool. It's an estimation. And I think it's our job as a society, probably as United Nations, to figure out and learn more about that $1 billion. So if we focus on one of the three pillars, which is knowledge, recognition, change 
if we focus more on understanding that bottom billion, then we'll be able to recognize how we can come up with better solutions for and with those people so we can come up with real change. But until we really dig in deep and understand the data and what's going on and the people, we don't, if we don't have that knowledge, we will never be able to solve that problem. So my suggestion would be focus on getting as much knowledge as you can from and for those people and then figure out a solution together. Thank you, Andrew. And uh, how can people get a hold of your website? What What's the... Uh... Uh, there are two things. Uh, the webpage is homelessentrepreneur.org. Um, if you are French-speaking, entrepreneur will be easy. If you're American, <laughs> English-speaking, you might have some problems with it, but it's homelessentrepreneur.org. Or um, My name's Andrew Funk. It's easy to find me in social media. Um, and also my telephone number is plus three four six nine seven eight seven seven zero eight nine. I use WhatsApp. People can contact me. Um, the most important thing is that if people want to start a conversation, uh, they just have to reach out. Um, I respond to everyone, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak with you on your podcast. It means a lot, Peter. And uh, anyone that starts that conversation and thinks before they, they reach out will help us improve, not just from Homeless Entrepreneur, but everybody else trying to figure out how to come up with better solutions. Thank you, Andrew.